0: Welcome in to another episode of Frogs Insider. Jamie Plunkett here. Melissa Trebwasser will be along shortly as we get ready to preview TCU's last regular season game of the year as they travel to Norman, Oklahoma to take the Oklahoma Sooners on on Friday morning at 11 a.m. This is the last Regular season preview podcast episode. We've got some exciting plans following the regular season. Should TCU qualify for a bowl, we'll obviously have wall-to-wall bowl coverage. Should TCU fail to qualify for a bowl, you will still get episodes of Frogs Insider every week talking about TCU athletics because I don't know if you've heard, folks. But TCU has two undefeated basketball teams right now. Both the men and the women's teams are 5-0. and After TCU's win on Tuesday night over Alcorn State, the women head to Florida for a little bit of a tournament on Thanksgiving Day and on Saturday as well. They'll play UTEP and then Nebraska while they're in St. Pete's. The men have Thanksgiving off until Monday when they host Houston Christian, formerly known as Houston Baptist University. But today we're not going to talk a ton of hoops. We're not going to talk baseball. We're not going to do much of anything other than preview Oklahoma and TCU. So let's go ahead and jump right into that with a little bit of a stats preview. But first, I want to give a shout out to our sponsors. We love our sponsors over here at Frogs Insider. Hell's Half Acre, Stadium Goods, and Home Field Apparel right now. Hell's Half Acre Stadium Goods has some of the best game day apparel that you could possibly, possibly want or need. Just go to hellshalfacresg.com and you'll be able to get all of the items that you need to be ready for game day. Whether that's a football polo or a baseball polo, a hat, a hoodie, a pullover, a t-shirt, a koozie for whatever beverage you want to consume on game day. You can get all of that over at hellshalfacresg.com. And let them know that Frogs Insider sent you when you check out over there. Also, if you're on the YouTube channel, which more and more people are, are checking out these days, you, you'll you notice that I am currently donning a home field apparel hoodie. It is not the Big Sky hoodie. This is the purple throwback TCU Frog. I thought it was kind of appropriate because this is somewhat similar to the head of the Horn Frog that TCU wore on their helmet last week. As I look down, I'm sure this is excellent audio right now for all of you who are listening on, on a podcast platform. But anywho, go to Hell's Half Acre, SG.com for all your game day needs. Go to homefieldapparel.com if you need a hoodie or a shirt or some joggers or a bomber jacket. And when you're at homefieldapparel.com, use the code FROGSIN15, that's FROGSIN15, to get 15% off of any of your purchases. And right now, they have a Black Friday deal going on across all of their schools that uh, will get you twenty percent off of any purchase. So if you have a family member that's maybe not a Horn Frog fan, but say they went to another Texas school, say they went somewhere else across the country, the the likelihood is is that Homefield Apparel has something from their 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 school, and you should go there, use the Black Friday code, which you can find on social media, and get them a gift at twenty percent off. One last reminder before we jump into our preview stuff. If you are listening on a podcast somewhere, go back to that podcast platform where you downloaded this episode. Make sure that you are subscribed to the feed and leave us a rating and a review. That really, really helps us out. If you're watching this on YouTube, make sure you like this video. Leave us a comment underneath about who you think is going to win a TCU-Oklahoma match on Friday. Give me a score prediction in the comments. I would love to see what people are feeling But as we jump into looking at the Horned Frogs versus the Sooners, we're going to get into Melissa's conversation with Jack Shields over at Crimson and Cream Machine. But before we do that, Parker Fleming, as you know, does an incredible job of giving us advanced stats previews of every college football game every single week. Very thankful for his work. And I have in front of me right now the Oklahoma TCU preview. And so we're going to take a quick little look at that bad boy. As I move my camera around and it does the mess up thing that I didn't want it to do. I'm very sad. Anywho, we're just going to keep right on rolling. TCU, Oklahoma, Advanced Stats Preview. And I I should probably put this up on the YouTube channel when I get to this point. I'm going to do that this week. All right. Couple things to note as we get into this. As I've explained before on the on the podcast, echo rate is something really important to pay attention to. Echel rate is, of course, the percentage of times, percentage of drives that a team creates a scoring opportunity, which means they cross the opponent's forty yard line and have at least one first down on their uh, past their opponent's forty yard line. TCU is tenth in the country in echel rate. We've known this for a while. Fifty four point seven percent. They've moved up because of their success in the Baylor game. Uh, they have they, they had a very successful day, which means they also moved up in a category where they haven't been as successful this year, which is points per echo. Which means that, hey, if, if, if you're creating a scoring opportunity, how frequently are you coming away with points? And are those points touchdowns or field goals? TCU had been in the 100s. In this ranking Um, But they have jumped to 87th in the country So moving in the right direction Heading into the final week of the regular season Oklahoma's defense however Is 7th in the country They're allowing just 2.47 points per echo drive So we know this game last year Was a blowout in TCU's favor But Oklahoma looks much much better On the defensive side of the football this year Brent Venables has started to get his system in place He's taken a more hands on approach To his defense this year And it's really paying off for the Sooners the Sooners are fourth in the country in EPA rush per play. They are 12th in the country in EPA per pass, defensively. Um, and they're seventh, like I mentioned, in points per echo allowed. Uh, this is a defense that has a tremendous amount of success uh, in early down situations, a tremendous amount of success in fourth down, third and fourth down situations. Um, and they have one of the best EPA margins in the country at 127, sixth in the country in EPA margin. For comparison, TCU is thirty-first. So, uh, Parker's advanced stats give the frogs about a seven-point-six-eight percent chance of winning, uh, to a ninety-two percent chance of winning for the Oklahoma Sooners. On the other side of the ball, though, so these two, this offense for TCU matches up pretty well against Oklahoma's defense. Uh, It's going to be a challenge, though, I believe for for TCU. Uh, to maybe put a ton of points on the board defensively for the Horn Frogs. What they have to be aware of is, is Oklahoma's passing game. Oklahoma is ninth in the country in EPA per pass, uh, while TCU's defense is 52nd in the country in EPA per pass. So there's there's an opportunity maybe for Oklahoma to throw the ball a little bit on the Horn Frogs. These are pretty much dead even offense and defense, Sooners offense, horn Frogs defense when it comes to the run game. So if TCU wants <clears throat> to find a way, to take away Oklahoma's pass that might be a key to uh, staying in this game and maybe even pulling off an upset win in Norman, which would be their first win in Norman since 2005. Um, <clears throat> Oklahoma is incredibly good at creating scoring opportunities for themselves. They're ninth in the country and echo rate. They're 10th in the country in points per echel which means that they score pretty much every time they have the opportunity to do so, uh, which means TCU's bend-don't-break defense is going to be really, really tested on Friday morning. So that was a really high-level, really fast kind of rundown of this advanced stats preview. Again, shout-out to Parker at Stats of War on Twitter. You can see all of his previews. Every single week, he will have bowl previews as well coming up as soon as those matchups are set. He'll have conference championship previews as soon as those games are set as well. Uh, He does an incredible, incredible amount of work. And really, truly, it's wild that he does it all for free. Uh, Big shout out to my friend Parker for doing all of this work for free. Um, he has a link in his bio on Twitter where you can go uh, give him like five bucks for a beer. I know he would appreciate that. Um, So hit him up, thank him for his work. And uh, I know that I I truly appreciate all he does. I watch football differently now because of the way that Parker analyzes games. um, And it has made me a smarter football fan. Um, So, Let's jump into the real preview. Melissa Treewasser sitting down with Jack Shields over at Crimson and Cream Machine. They dive into this game a little bit more in depth. They talk about players to watch on both sides of the ball. We hear a little bit of predictions from both of them as well. So let's go ahead and jump into that right now.
1: Good afternoon, everybody. Welcome to another midweek edition of the Frogs Insider podcast, part of the Dave Campbell's Texas Football Network. Um, I am joined this week to preview the potentially last TCU Oklahoma game by my friend and, and one of the good sooners out there in the world, Jack Shields of Crimson and Cream Machine, um, it, you know, the only negative, and I said the same thing to, to Kyle uh, at Longhorn Pod, the only negative about Texas No, You Leave It is I will miss getting to chat up you and Gerald and Kyle. Other than that, deuces, <laughs> you know, I think that's kind of how I feel. So <laughs> how, how are you doing today, Jack?
2: I'm doing all right. You know, just getting ready for Thanksgiving and everything like that and just uh, getting ready for a very probably eventful weekend of college football. I mean, there's all the Big 12 tiebreaker scenarios at play, of course. Uh, I still don't understand what all of it means, and I'm not Mm -hmm. sure if we're going to have some more clarifications between now and Sunday, but, uh, you know, we'll just uh, see what happens, I guess.
1: I think it's just going to be a race to see who shows up in Arlington. And that's how they're going to decide. Um, you mentioned the big 12 tiebreaker scenarios. I'm on free zoom, which means we only have 40 minutes. So we can't possibly even begin to discuss those. We would so quickly run out of time. Um, but uh, Oklahoma obviously has a lot of the line uh, Friday afternoon when they uh, welcome TCU to Norman, a place that the Horned Frogs have not won since 2005. They are still in play to make the big 12 championship game and the nightmare scenario for Uh, Brett Yormark and the conference uh, of Texas and Oklahoma being guaranteed to win the the last Big 12 uh, title of their tenure in the conference is is right there. There's a lot that has to happen besides Oklahoma just beating TCU, but that's that's job number one for the Sooners. Uh, Kind of looking at this from a 30,000 foot perspective, what do you think kind of the feeling is around the program and the fan base as far as how important it is to stay in play for a Big 12 championship?
2: Well, I think it's definitely a big thing. I mean, especially when you're on the way out like that, I think everyone kind of had that marked at the beginning of the year, you know, the goal was to win a big 12 championship. And that seemed like something that was in play in Brent Venable's second year. And uh, of course, heading out, that's something that you definitely want to do. I mean, that's, that was the main goal though. I mean, this, you know, no one expected this to really be a national championship caliber roster yet. And that's perfectly fine. You know, there was a lot of roster turnover, everything like that, but the, uh, you know, general mood around the program was that this is just a much, much, much better roster than what you saw last year, of course. So it's definitely an encouraging sign heading into the SEC. They definitely seem a little bit more SEC ready, as they say, for sure. But, um, you know, there's so many different tiebreaker scenarios. But I would say even if, you know, Oklahoma comes out on top on us, uh, I guess it's Friday. It's not, I'm used to saying Saturday. Yeah, right. But, um, You know, even if Oklahoma comes out on top on Friday and then, you know, if the chips don't fall where they need to fall, I would still say that Oklahoma fans are pretty satisfied generally with the direction of the program. And I think the uh, the vibes are good, as they
1: say. Is it almost and I know we do this as as college football fans and, you know, we kind of we kind of drill down to the, the things that we we actually care about. Would you almost rather not like win Friday, but not make the big 12 championship and avoid having to lose to Texas in that game potentially. I, I mean, would that almost be worse?
2: You know, it, it, I, I completely understand what you say. I think my, uh, my cardiac health would be a little bit better uh, if you know, Oklahoma didn't advance, I would say in general, having said that, you know, when Oklahoma entered the red river rivalry shootout, whatever you want to call it now, the running game was just not where it needed to be at that point. It usually takes about five or six games for B bill, beat bows, offensive lines to round into form as a uh, run blocking group. And at that point it had not happened yet. Most of Oklahoma's rushing yards that day, it seemed like came from Dylan Gabriel on the ground. It did.
1: He led them, right? Not yeah.
2: usually the recipe that you're looking for, as far as that's concerned, it's definitely not the conventional method there, but, uh, you know as of late the running game has been much better um a lot of the younger guys like Caden Green have really uh, come on as of late uh, as a run blocking unit so i would say that you know you know texas yeah i do think they have more talent i thought they had more talent entering the red river shootout earlier i think they have more talent now of course um they're definitely a dangerous team but at the same time i think oklahoma as far as an offense has become a bit more complete at this point i would say so you know it would definitely give me a lot of anxiety <laughs> into OU fans as well, sure. but at the same time, you know, I would give them a puncher's chance in that game for sure. So, I mean, it would be pretty sweet to beat them twice in one year that's never happened before. So definitely a, a cool opportunity there, of course, but at the same time, you know, we would, some people would probably breathe a sigh of relief, I would bet. So I can well, see that. For sure. Well,
1: you've never beaten them twice in a row because you've never had the opportunity because Texas hasn't been relevant. Um, so exactly that's, right. that's, yeah, it's not really on you. Uh, you touched on the running game a little bit. You mentioned um, that Dylan Gabriel led, uh, was one of the leading rushers. He was he was the leading rusher in that Red River rivalry. Well, my gosh, that's a mouthful. Red River <laughs> rivalry game with 113 yards. But Oklahoma has had six different players lead them in rushing over the course of their 11 games this season. But for the last three weeks, it's been uh, Gavin Sawchuck. Uh, what has he brought? How much of that is the offensive line rolling into shape? And how much of that is they they've kind of found a guy that can be kind of that bell cow on offense
2: for sure and you know a lot of it is the offensive line kind of like I mentioned but at the same time Sawchuck is someone who really does give the threat to uh you know take it the distance you know he's one of the few guys in this backfield you know Tywee Walker has probably as a whole shown the most this year at at the at most points you know he's a really good uh you know bell cow running back really powerful has good vision he is not someone who can, you know, take it to the house really necessarily. So Gavin Sawchuck is a guy who kind of brings that dimension to you. And he's a pretty tough runner too. I mean, he's not a huge kid, you know, he's around five ten. he's, you know, uh, sub 200 pounds, not a huge guy, but he runs really tough. So he's someone who kind of brings the whole package there and you'll know, bring something in the uh, passing game as well. So, you know, I think uh, him being able to do the little things um, has, you know, kind of earned him the spot where he is at this point, but yeah, he's uh, definitely been the, uh, best as of late for sure and uh, you know having that threat to you know kind of uh you know take it the distance has definitely uh, made a difference for sure uh
1: you know you, you kind of started to talk about the passing game there a little bit too um obviously the big question mark is will dylan gabriel start or are we going to see uh uh jackson jackson arnold yes um jackson arnold at quarterback the freshman um it, early on it it seemed like venables was pretty confident that gabriel would go what are you hearing around the program as far as what his availability might look like for friday
2: so it, it's it's tough to speculate on that of course you know in a uh, you know a theoretical concussion situation they've never confirmed it was a concussion or anything of course like not. That. That's, <laughs> they, they that's, don't want you know,
0: us to it, know <laughs> of
2: course and you know he does have a history, of course, with that. I'm not saying that's what it is, but he does have a history with that, of course, you know, dating back to last year. So, you know, I think most people's initial reaction after that happened was that he would probably, you know, just speculating. They thought, you know, he, you know, there's a chance that he would miss the next game, I would say. And I would say that's still probably a chance. And there's really not much coming out regarding any of that at this point. But, uh, you know, I wouldn't be surprised if it goes either way on that. You know, you know, he, uh, Venables mentioned that, you know, if it keeps progressing the way that it does that, you know, you would expect him to play, but that can mean a lot of different things. So, you know, you never really know on that. I would say uh, I would expect either one to go on, uh, on Friday for sure. You know, Gabriel, I think, you know, there's a chance for sure, but I would, you know, just speculating, I'd say it's probably equally likely that we see Jackson Arnold on Friday.
1: You know, Dylan Gabriel has kind of quietly put together a pretty elite season so far, and he doesn't give as much attention as some of the other big-name quarterbacks. Obviously, um, Jaden Daniels and Bo Nix and Michael Penix and um, even, you know, Quinn Ewers kind of get more attention nationally uh, than Gabriel has, but he's completing almost 70% of his passes. He's thrown 27 intercept or touchdowns to just five interceptions. Um, He really has been a steadying force for an Oklahoma offense that, um it has been up and down you know uh, since Brett Venables took over for Lincoln Riley what do you think has been the biggest improvement in his game and if he is the guy that starts on Friday how do you think he can attack a TCU secondary that's given up a minimum of one ridiculously big play game
2: I think confidence has had a lot to do with it honestly you know last year you know he could take the top off of a defense with a deep ball to Marvin Mims or uh, Theo Weese whoever it was back there at that point but uh you know, he wasn't someone who really showed you much as a scrambler. He didn't take a lot of risks, uh, improvising or anything like that. This year, you've kind of seen him become a bit more of a gamer, I would say. And I think part of that is the fact that, you know, he does have a backup behind him who, you know, the, I think he's encouraged now to take a few more risks with his legs at this point, mm-hmm. uh, because last year you saw what happened after he, you know, uh, left the equation last year. Oklahoma didn't have anyone behind him at that point. so they had to kind of uh, play it close to the vest last year and you know be pretty cautious with him last year. This year he's able to take more risks with, the, with his legs, both in design runs and uh, you know scrambling out of the pocket. And he's been a really good improviser this year, I would say. you know it brings you back a little bit to the quarterbacks that Oklahoma had early in Lincoln Riley's tenure. you know, you saw Baker Mayfield uh, and Kyler Murray, of course, who were great with uh, improvising. So that was a huge part of it. And uh, yeah, I think that has definitely brought a lot more to Oklahoma's offense because when plays break down, you don't necessarily have to throw in the towel at this point, you know, you can, he's been able to make something out of nothing a lot this year. And that's had a lot to do with it. I would say.
1: You mentioned that capable backup uh, Jackson Arnold's red shirt has been burned now since he had to come in against BYU. So, so he has lost that, that fifth year potential eligibility eligibility. So there's really no, no difference if he plays this weekend or not. Um, he, this is a true freshman, uh, a Denton kid, a North Texas kid. Um, not a ton of size, um, but but certainly looks like he's got the the type of arm that that can survive an SEC season. What have you seen out of him and in, in limited opportunities? And if he has to go, is there any drop in confidence on on Oklahoma being able to move the ball? Or have you watched enough of TCU's defense to know that you'll be able to do that no problem?
2: One thing I will say is that he has very little fear about him. Um, You saw him in a few situations last week where the pocket broke down. And, uh, you know, most freshman quarterbacks in that situation on the road in front of what, you know, 67,000 fans at BYU, uh, you know, if they were in that environment being thrust into, uh, you know, meaningful action for the first time like that. And, uh, you know, face that a lot of people would fold in that situation. He was cool as a cucumber though. I mean, he, uh, you saw a few third down passes where he, uh, you know, hit Jaleel Faruka one in the, uh, late in the third quarter. And then another one, uh, towards the end of the game to seal the game, actually, um, you know, the pocket was breaking down at that point and he was able to, uh, you know, really stand in the pocket confidently. And, you know, he's, uh, someone who, excuse me. Yeah. He, you know, comes from, you know, the highest level of high school football in the state of Texas, you know, played at Denton Geyer, you know, played with a lot of really good players, played against a lot of really good players. Uh, so the, you know, the microscope being on him, isn't really anything new, honestly, he's a five-star quarterback. So, you know, he definitely did stand in there really well, you know, never really, you know, panicked or anything like that. His body language always looked good. Uh, he was made for the moment is basically, uh, what it comes down to. So yeah, he uh, if he does have to go in there against TCU uh, being at home, um, I do feel like he would be, uh, you know, productive. I think the playbook probably wouldn't be as open to him, of course, as it would be with Gabriel, of course. But, you know, I think they still could be affected for sure.
1: TCU's defense has right. definitely improved here over the last six quarters. Um, we saw what they did the second half against Texas. Now, I will, I will say a Texas team that was not putting their foot on the gas by any stretch. Um, and it gets the Baylor team that's just just so bad. Um, but you know, I think they put up a little bit more fight. I, th- I would say, from a TCU perspective, Gabriel's ability to move the chains with his feet and, and make plays kind of off schedule is certainly a little bit more terrifying than a true freshman. But as uh, Jackson Arnold gets more and more confident and has more and more experience, I, I, I don't, I don't think the line would move a whole lot from that ten points that it is now with Arnold starting as it as it does with with Gabriel starting. So. Uh, it's going to be a tough challenge for the Horned Frogs either way. Let's talk about the receiving core just a little bit before we move on to the defensive side of the ball. Uh, you mentioned some of the guys that Oklahoma has had. I mean, this has been an absolute re- factory of elite wide receivers, um, you know, from the Stoops era to to the uh, uh, Lincoln-Riley era. Not necessarily a big name or kind of a highly touted guy nationally on that, but there's some solid options. And Drake Stoops is quietly putting together a really, a really big season as well. What well, can you tell us about the wide receivers as far as is their biggest strength and is there a weakness that, that TCU might be able to kind of capitalize on to, to contain that unit a little bit?
2: Well, they arguably lost their biggest weapon after the Texas game and Andrell Anthony, you know, mm-hmm. the transfer from Michigan. I don't know if you remember, you know, a couple of years ago, him playing Michigan State uh, on big noon uh, a couple of years ago in 2021, he uh, had, you know, an enormous game, you know, near, near 200 yards receiving in that game, kind of out of nowhere. And he, you know, showed that unique ability that he has to take the top off of a defense and just that unique athleticism that he has. And Oklahoma lost that, you know, after the uh, Texas game. so you know since then they've their ability to uh you know kind of take the top off has been hindered a little bit but they've kind of figured it out as of late you know hitting stoops underneath of course and uh uh, uh sorry nick anderson has really emerged as a deep threat as well so <laughs> excuse me but um you know they're still looking for a few pieces there you know it's kind of an incomplete group because the tight end position has really not been a factor this year, which is pretty unique at Oklahoma. Usually you have some pretty good targets at that position. You know, Mark Andrews, Braden Willis, lots of different guys, you know, in recent years, but you know, it's something that's kind of still a work in progress oddly late in the year, but still a very talented group. So definitely uh, a lot of potential for the future as well. You know, uh, uh Pedway is someone who is a true freshman, who's a blue chip player, who hasn't really played that much this year just because of who's in front of him. But there's a lot of really good potential at the group. So uh, I'll be interested to see guys like that in the bowl game and see if they get some, uh, some action in this game in their last regular season game.
1: On the defensive side of the ball, obviously, you know, when you go from the the quote unquote offensive genius of Lincoln Riley to uh, Brett Venables, it's it's with the defense in mind. And I think the defense was obviously a, a focus as you make the move to the SEC. This Oklahoma team struggled last year in the first year of the system, but it's seeming to kind of come together still hasn't been maybe a super elite Venables unit yet, but you can see the pieces coming together. The guys really understanding the system and him being able to recruit guys that work in the system. He wants to run. Um, certainly one of the, the most improved units in the big 12 this season. What has maybe been a, a surprise about this defense and what's one area that you think has, has really um, kind of developed to make them uh, a, one of the stronger units in the conference.
2: Well, in order to run that type of defense, you know, you rely on defensive linemen who take up a lot of space and are able to uh, create uh, disruption on their own. Essentially, uh, they did not have that, of course, under Lincoln Riley. Uh, they did not have that last year in Venable's first uh, year on the job. So, essentially, what happened is Venable's was running his system to a team didn't you know really adapt it that much for the personnel necessarily he said hey this is the system this is what we're running you're the guys who are here we're going to run it essentially but, and it didn't necessarily work out the way that you know people hoped of course because the personnel really wasn't there up front for that type of scheme this year uh, heading into this year they hit the portal really hard they brought in john terry they brought in jacob Lacey. Um, they got a little bit better at defensive end as well. And uh, guys beefed up a little bit, guys who were already on campus as well. So they're able to sort of run that scheme a little bit easier, and it's a bit more natural. And you've seen the results this year. I mean, the run defense has generally been pretty solid this year, save, you know, a few big plays. But, uh, you know, down to down, usually it's been a really solid run defense. And uh, obviously that wasn't the case a year ago. So it's a situation where, When a team gets into the red zone or gets within the uh, 10-yard line, within the five-yard line, in the past it was a situation where Oklahoma fans said, okay, well, this is going to be a scoring drive. Let's move on to the offense. Um, Now you have a genuine hope that Oklahoma's defense is going to get a stop or make a big play. That is largely due to what they've been able to build up front in a pretty short amount of time with the portal. And uh, recruiting, of course, uh, for high school level – that's gotten better as well because they're able to sell that. Of course, you know, they have the number uh, number one defensive tackle in the country and David stone coming in next year out of high school, out of IMG Academy originally from Oklahoma city though. But um, uh, that's, you know, being able to show that to recruits has been enormous and uh, that's going to pay dividends moving forward, of course, but that's been the biggest key I would say. And uh, additionally, the speed at linebacker has been a huge difference maker. Uh, Danny Stutzman, He's always had that speed, but now that he understands the scheme a little bit better, he doesn't have to think about it as much. So he, you've seen that this year. He's been, you know, probably one of the best linebackers of the country. I can't tell you why he is not a Butkus semifinalist, but uh, for some reason he's not. But anyway, another conversation for another day. But anyway, just uh, other than him, though, you know, Jaron Kanick, uh, Kip Lewis, uh, Kobe McKenzie, guys like that uh, bring a level of speed to that position that uh, Oklahoma hasn't seen in a while at the uh, linebacker position. So that's made a big difference as well.
1: I think what concerns me and in, in knowing TCU offensive lines weaknesses, um, how much pressure they've been able to, to generate from the front that they aren't having to rely on linebackers or blitzes from the defensive backfield in order to generate sacks and pressure on the quarterback. Um, and with TCU playing a redshirt freshman quarterback and an offensive line that has been, Not really met expectations, we'll say. Uh, I I think that that's an area where Josh Hoover is going to have a real long day, and and Brett Venables is certainly going to know how to exploit that. Um, The secondary, you know, one thing we have seen from Josh Hoover is... When he does have time, he is very, very accurate, and he can, you know, make all the throws. Right? What has been the strength of the the secondary for the Sooners, and and do you think that they can make life really, really difficult on a young quarterback uh, who will be playing in front of a very loud fan base for the from only really the second time in his in his young career?
2: Well, uh, jumping routes and making plays on the ball have been a big deal this year for Oklahoma. I believe at this point they are tied for the national lead in interceptions. At this point, which is I don't even need to tell you is a major departure from what we saw in the past mm-hmm. with Oklahoma's right. defense. So, uh, you know, the turnover margin has been you know, much better for Oklahoma this year, of course. Uh, so that's been a huge part of it. Just, uh, you know, basically by identifying where the ball is, you know, turning around for the ball, something that would seem, you know, really simple to most people and really obvious to most people apparently wasn't, uh, apparently wasn't taught by the previous, uh, coaching staff but now you see that a lot so uh and you know the athletes are pretty good back there as well uh you know for the most part of this year you know first half of this year gentry williams really provided a really good uh you know a bigger more physical cornerback that you saw that uh Again, Oklahoma hadn't had in a while, but uh, he's been out for a few weeks. But uh, Kendall Dolby and uh, Kenai Walker have done a really good job in his place over the past few weeks. So, uh, you know, it's been a pretty good cornerback uh, unit. You know, they've given up a few big plays, but generally you can count on them to uh, take care of business on third and long, fourth and long, things of that nature. So that's been a huge thing. And then again, at safety. Uh, the playmaking has been superb. And additionally, uh, run support. For the uh, at the safety position. It's been a while since, uh, you know, you've seen that at Oklahoma. Robert Spears Jennings uh, kind of brings your mind back to the uh, previous stint from Brent Venables having guys like Roy Williams, uh, Nick Harris, Quentin Carter um, in the defensive backfield. Uh, You haven't seen guys like that who can really support in the run game like that. And uh, he brings your mind back to that point, you know, a big physical safety. And uh, so they have guys who are a lot more physical at that position as well. So it's definitely uh, been a revelation for sure.
1: 10 different players have combined for 18 total interceptions. Uh, you didn't even mention Billy Billy Bowman, who is one of yeah. the most explosive defensive backs in the country. He's got two pick sixes, including uh one for a hundred yards. The other was 93 or uh almost, I, was, I think was another big play too. So yeah, it was around 50 yards. Yeah. Yeah. He is he has been um terrifying. So uh there's a there's a lot of playmaking, like you said, that you haven't necessarily seen um from an offense, uh, an Oklahoma defensive side uh perspective under the last regime. Um how much joy do Oklahoma fans take from Lincoln Riley's struggles in 2023 at SC like we know like we know and, and listen I think you're a rational human being Jack you know what you know what he inherited and there was gonna be much like TCU he got that first year bump and then it kind of came back to earth um there's some work to do with that roster but it's it's still pretty nice right
2: well, I, I mean, Oklahoma fans have taken no joy in that whatsoever. None, I mean, none, you, none, none. None at none. all, none at all. Um
1: guys all good people who, yeah, completely understand why he'd want to live in LA as a very wealthy human. Like, you get Oh, of it, course, yeah. 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 I
2: mean, I, mean I, I couldn't say that, you know, a lot of us wouldn't do the same thing in that situation. But, uh, you know, I feel like the OU fan base feels a little bit vindicated mm-hmm. for the most part, you know, because – you know, they were catching it from a lot of different angles, nationally, regionally, everything like that. You know, a lot of people would go so far as to say that Oklahoma's program was just going to drop off, just uh, just drop off the face of the earth, kind of like Nebraska, which that doesn't really make sense. You know, geographically recruiting perspective. I mean, it's a completely different situation. Yeah. It's apples and oranges, But uh, at any rate, you know, Oklahoma fans definitely felt vindicated from all of that. You know, they were able to say, I told you so. And that has been very satisfying, I would say one thing i'll say a lot of the focus out there has been pointed at alex grinch and rightfully so um he hasn't produced good defensive units out there um but i will say you know he was a major improvement over mike stoops whenever he came in you know he was fielding a, some pretty decent defenses at that point you know they were making some plays on defense they were getting in the backfield they were creating turnovers they were doing exactly what It was designed to do, you know, his defense is uh, catered to stopping spread offenses or or at least mitigating a lot of the effect of that. Um, One thing I will say is gradually over time, uh, both at Oklahoma and at USC, the defenses gradually have become less physical over time. Mm -hmm. Tackling has gotten worse. Culture has gotten worse on that side. The finger that Oklahoma fans, their Oklahoma fans are pointing the finger in this instance more at Benny Wiley hmm. than they are at Alex Grinch, the strength and conditioning coach. Um, he was someone who was a friend of Lincoln Riley's from his Texas Tech days, a guy who was on some reality show weightlifting oh. competition on NBC. Okay. Um, he he's described as a glorified CrossFit trainer which wow. there's nothing wrong with CrossFit, but it doesn't necessarily mesh with football culture. Yeah. Um, and you you know that, you know, in the off-season workouts, the person who's in charge of building that culture in the off-season is the strength and conditioning coach more than anyone else. Um, they're one of the biggest keys to the machine as far as culture building is concerned. And uh, physicality, discipline, everything of that nature. They're a huge, you know factor in all of that. Um, Benny Wiley has shown that the situation has gradually gotten worse at both of those stops mm-hmm. and not enough people are pointing fingers at him nationally. I think that's going to start happening now that French is gone and they're going to find the common denominator in all of this. But uh, you know, as long as Benny Wiley is at USC, it's not going to get fixed. You know, Oklahoma fans can tell you that. And I think uh nationally, uh people are going to start to uh, see that from uh in the future. But anyway, yeah, again, no joy in all of this whatsoever. No, no. I, I, he's going to be in the NFL next year. I mean, you know, yeah. he is, I mean, he's, and he's, I think he'll be a good NFL head coach. I, I think he will be. I mean, the, the he's basically going to be calling an offense and, uh, you know, you know, picking out personnel, you know, doing all that kind of stuff. So
1: he, he you know, could be Mike be, McDaniel, I think for uh, sure. Yeah. Yeah. He, yeah he'll, he'll be
2: fine as an NFL head coach. I think he'll be, I mean, his teams will probably be pretty fun to watch, honestly, yeah, but, uh, yeah. um, you know, it's, it's just not working as far as being a program manager. I would say uh, it was starting to slip at Oklahoma and it's slipping at USC. You're seeing, you know, basically Oklahoma fans are able to say, I told you so on a lot of this stuff. Yeah. So that's been a pretty big vindication. So
1: what what's your biggest excitement for the SEC and what's your biggest concern about that move for Oklahoma. I mean, you said like the program is definitely in a good place. It's not going to have a Nebraska-like fall, but they're going to take some lumps, right? Oh, like, yeah. There's got to be an expectation that, that both Texas and Oklahoma just because of how much some of these programs are rolling right now. It's going to be really interesting to see what those first two to three years look like.
2: So I think most people are looking at it from a pretty rational perspective as far as what you're talking about, about you know taking some lumps early and having some growing pains. The problem is that once it actually starts happening, yeah. Um, based on your experience with Oklahoma fans, how do you think they're going to take that?
1: About as well as is uh, TCU fans have taken this year would be my right, guess. Yeah. yeah, not well, so, not well. You know,
2: you say that you're going to put up with it and you understand it and you know accept certain growing pains until it happens. Yeah. You know, people can be rational up to a point, but at the same time, you know, Oklahoma is a program that regularly recruits between the top five and the top 10 every year no different this year um the type of recruiting has been a lot different of course like i mentioned you know they're recruiting a lot better on the defensive front which is something that they had trouble doing in the past you know they're getting you know major major blue chip guys on defense who really fit the scheme so you know they're going to be a lot better up front just in general you know his you know venable's whole mission these past two years is to you know build a roster that is suitable for the sec and you know. The first year, you know, there's going to be some lumps, of course. But, um, you know, I still – I don't expect this team to miss a bowl game or anything like that, of course. Yeah. So, um, well,
1: and, and the SEC, for for as good as the upper echelon is, the bottom is bad. Of course. Of
2: like, course, like, yeah. bottom is bad yeah, there's football There's still team. Vanderbilt. There's yeah. still Mississippi State. Yeah, of course. Yeah. There's, there's going to be people to pick on, of course. But uh, I think as far as what people are looking forward to the most, I think it's the road trips. I, I yeah. think people are really looking forward to uh, – you know, next year Oklahoma gets to go to the Grove – Um, which is something that, you know, we've, you know, everyone, college football fan that's on everyone's bucket list. So definitely looking forward to that. I mean, going to LSU next year, going to Auburn next year, uh, you know, Resuming, you know, the series with Missouri—that's, you know, doesn't really excite us that much. I mean, they never really gave us much of a challenge in the past, honestly. But uh and their fans—that's hey, kind of top um,
1: ten. That's a top ten Missouri. They're a top ten team, team
2: right now, but they haven't pain. played Bama, or I mean, they yeah. played Georgia, of course, but you know, haven't played Bama. You know, haven't played necessarily that type of a schedule, I don't think. But uh and they're going to come back down to earth. I don't think uh, Drinkwitz is really. Uh, much of a person to be concerned about. He's hey, you
1: got to be fired up about that late season SEC powerhouse matchup against the Maine Black Bears, too. Oh, like of course. That's, yeah, yeah, that's, that's, that's Looking what forward you know. To that.
2: Yeah, those really uh, those made fun. the
1: SEC rivalry yeah, those, weekend against Maine.
2: Those are going to feel like a reprieve, though, at the end yeah. of the year. I think Oklahoma fans will learn to kind of uh, appreciate those, I guess. But, you know, it's definitely uh, – you know it's gonna be nice at least to get the, the, the late in the season can so, we uh. just
1: can we just talk about this run though like the, the fact that you've got texas at auburn at lsu at missouri alabama tennessee at Ole miss like really looking forward to that jack
2: <laughs> well it's gonna sell tickets is what it's gonna it's do gonna I mean, tickets, they're yeah. doing they're having some pretty good returns mm-hmm. on that already i mean it's not like oklahoma's had trouble selling tickets yeah. but uh, you know, the general Yikes. excitement and the, the tailgating is going to step up a lot. It needs to step up, I would say. I mean, it, yeah. the setup for it is just, you know, David Bourne, our old president kind of did everything he could to uh, kill tailgating as much as he could. And we're kind of building back and preparing for the SEC at this point. So got a long ways to go as far as that's concerned. We're kind of uh, repairing a lot of the damage that was done in that regard. But, uh, you know, I think a lot of things are going to, uh, you know, be – you know, raised up as a result of Oklahoma going to the SEC and a lot of away fans coming in. I think uh, Campus Corner is going to get a boost um, economically from all of that. I think that's what they're kind of preparing for as well. So it's going to be pretty interesting to watch this uh, transition. But I think over time, with the amount of commitment that there is to, uh, you know, the University of Oklahoma, how important, you know, football is in the state of Oklahoma, how important OU is for Donors and everyone like that. I, I I don't think Oklahoma's gonna have too much trouble keeping up in that regard. And I think they're gonna stay nationally relevant. In, in addition, they're moving to a 12-team playoff. Oklahoma yeah. could theoretically yeah. go nine and three in any given a, in yeah. playoff. So it's you know, LSU's on the cusp of that this year at nine yeah. and three. And I don't think they're that good. So yeah, anyway, it's you know, it's a situation where I think we're still going to have a lot of fun. Um, I'll miss the Big 12. I mean, there's nostalgia there, of course. But uh, at the same time, I mean, the Big 12 that you're going to see next year isn't the Big 12 that I grew yeah. up with anything like that. So yeah, the nostalgia that. only goes so far as far as that's concerned. But, I mean, I'm always going to be someone who – pays close attention to the big 12. My wife's an Oklahoma state grad. So, I mean, and I. Oh,
1: how so. was that weekend at home, man, this year? Um, Ooh, I, I,
2: think, I think we're ready for bed. I think both of us are ready for bedlam yeah. to be put to bed. I think Oklahoma state fans are ready for, I think we're all ready for a little break. Essentially. Yeah.
1: Oklahoma state fans are fine. They got the last one. They're, they're fine like, right yeah, now. Yeah. yeah they're
2: basically perfect for them. I'm worried that they're going to run away from a rematch in all He's eternity. Yeah. Scoreboard for the rest of eternity. That's, yeah, that's be
1: your that's biggest. That's probably nightmare. what they're
2: going to try to yeah. do until Start. they need money, and then they're going to yep. schedule a game with Oklahoma and Stillwater. But uh. hey, listen,
1: how much <laughs> how much money does Oklahoma State need, though? I tell you that that program, whew, they're pretty good. Yeah, shape.
2: yeah, pretty good. um You know, Boone Pickens was a really generous, generous. benefactor for yeah. a long time, and you know those effects are still felt. So for sure. Yeah, for uh, sure.
1: yeah. Most important question. I'm not going to ask you to give me a score prediction or, or a win loss. Cause we all know what you think and we all know what's likely. And there's a reason this game's 10 point spread, but because this episode's going out the Wednesday before Thanksgiving, what is the number one thing you're looking forward to eating that will be on your table Thursday, whatever time you eat.
2: Ooh, I like dark meat Turkey. Okay. Um, I like a fried Turkey, fried Turkey, dark meat Turkey. Sweet. That's that's, I like it. I like to, lay claim to the drumstick okay the turkey leg. you know that that's what i like to lay claim to if i can Can are you
1: are it. you walking around the the state fair of texas for the red river game with the drumstick are you that guy
2: well I, well at the state fair i'm running around with a fletcher's corny okay. dog so yeah, that, that's absolutely. what you got to go with it yeah when in rome so you know it's, it's a little different there for sure but i do love a turkey leg for sure but uh stuffing's great um big stuffing fan big mac and cheese fan mm-hmm. um There's a lot of nostalgia. I was a picky eater growing up. So Pillsbury Crescent Rolls, I would just load up my plate with Pillsbury Crescent Rolls and gravy. Have Um, at it. Still going to do that. Still going to do that for sure. Of course. Yeah. Yeah.
1: All right. Where can people find you, find your work, and find all this great Oklahoma-sided information on this big Black Friday showdown for bowl eligibility or a shot in the Big 12 title game?
2: Yeah. Uh, Crimson and on SB nation. So yeah, you can find us there. You can find us uh, at CC machine on Twitter as well. Twitter is uh, where we're pretty active. So that's where you can find us for sure.
1: Awesome. Thanks so much, Jack, for taking some time and uh, your holiday week. And I hope that you have all the crescent rolls and Turkey legs of your dreams on Thursday and I, a nightmare on Friday. That's what we're going for.
2: <laughs> we'll do definitely for the first thing.
0: All right. I want to give a big thanks to Jack for his time um, taking his time out on, on a holiday week to sit down with Melissa and preview this football game. Very thankful for him. Uh, a little bit disappointed that we're not going to hear from Jack as much moving forward. For those of you that have been listening to shows that Melissa and I have done over the years, you'll know that Jack has been uh, a guest on the podcast pretty much every year since TCU has been in the Big 12, and we've previewed this game because you know, we came from Frogs of War over at SB Nation. Uh, Jack is still over there at Crimson and Cream Machine. Um, and uh, we' a long-standing relationship with him. Great, great, great person. Thankful that he had the time this week to, to do this. And, and best of luck to him and the Oklahoma Sooners as they move off to the SEC. We've got mailbag stuff here in just a moment as well. But before we get into that, three games that I am watching this Week there are some obvious ones right the Egg Bowl happening on Thanksgiving Day very excited about that one the under on Iowa Nebraska is something that I'm going to be keeping a very very firm eye on it's at 26 and a half if you got it earlier this week I think it's dropping down to 26 maybe even 25 and a half which is absurd um, but the three games that I really want to pay attention to this week are games that happen on Saturday. Obviously, Texas Tech and Texas happening on Friday night. That's a game that everybody's going to be keeping an eye on as well. Can the Red Raiders do the funniest thing of all time? We shall see. But three games that I am paying attention to this week. The first one is 11 a.m. on Fox. We all know it's Ohio State and Michigan. I am very intrigued to see what Ohio State can do against this Michigan run game. Because I'm, if, if, o, if Ohio State can take away, to an extent, Michigan's run game, that will force J.J. McCarthy to show it, all the hype that he's been getting is real. I don't know that it is. We saw J.J. McCarthy in the Fiesta Bowl last year against TCU. Watched him live in that game. He had a pretty rough first half. Threw, a, obviously, two pick sixes in that game as well. When he started moving with his legs, that was the most efficient Michigan's offense was all day. Um, if Ohio State can find a way to keep him contained in the pocket and shut down Blake Corum in this really, really good Michigan running game, uh, I'll be curious to see if Ohio State can can maybe pull off the upset because, in my opinion, Ohio State has the best athlete in college football. They have the best player on the field that day in Marvin Harrison Jr. And if he can get loose and get going... I think the Buckeyes might write the ship, and heck, who even who, who knows? They might even they might even save Ryan Day's job while they're at it by taking down the Michigan Wolverines. Uh, very excited about that football game. We'll be paying a, a, a great amount of attention to that football game. The next game that I am paying attention to is another one that uh, folks will probably be keyed in on and that is Texas A&M and LSU. Obviously, Jimbo Fisher is out. Jeff Trailer can't escape questions at UTSA about whether or not he's already interviewed for the Texas A&M job. But the real, reality is, is that they put up 51 points last week on Mississippi State, and now they play an LSU defense that hasn't stopped anybody all, all season long. Uh, and they've got an LSU offense that has you know another one of the best athletes in the country in Jaden Daniels who – should be more in the Heisman conversation, I think, than he is at this point, um, despite LSU having three losses. And uh, I'm very excited to see this. This could be one of those like, oh my gosh, they over a 66 and a half and they were, they were low by 15, 20 points kind of situations. Um, so I'm excited to see how much these two teams can score on each other uh, in a game that is in Baton Rouge. That is Saturday at 11 a.m. on ESPN. So get your multi-box ready to go to Ohio State, Michigan, and Texas a and LSU at the same time. And then the third game that I'm very interested in watching on Saturday is the Iron Bowl. It might be cliche. It might be washed. You, you might say, Jamie, why, why are you picking these three big games? But in reality, I mean, I'm going to be watching Iowa State-Kansas State, but I think Kansas State runs away with that game. Sorry, Iowa State fans. I don't think it's going to be that entertaining. Meanwhile, I think coming off of a loss to New Mexico State, at home, by three touchdowns, Auburn is licking its wounds and feeling really bad about itself, and uh, Alabama has a chance to absolutely blow their doors off. But for some reason, I just have this weird feeling that Auburn Maybe was overlooking New Mexico State a little too much, getting ready to host their rival. First-year head coach Hugh Freeze, ten and one Alabama coming to town, ranked eighth in the College Football Playoff. They are what was that fourteen and a half point favorites, and everyone has started to kind of talk all year about how oh Georgia's Georgia's taking a step back because you know they've lost so much to the NFL Kirby. Kirby's going to have it a hard time three-peating. It hasn't been done in so long. Alabama quietly has put together a very good season outside of losing to Texas and whatever happened against South Florida that one week that they benched their starting quarterback. Um, and, and all of this momentum was going kind of, hey, Alabama's kind of maybe back on top, and maybe Nick Saban still got it. And, and uh, I, I just don't know. Georgia's a machine. That's obviously a story for a different day. But I think Auburn's going to make this really, really close. I think Auburn's going to make this really, really close. I think Jordan Hare is going to be absolutely rocking. And I think that if Auburn can contain Alabama's run game, specifically at the quarterback position, uh, this is going to be a really, really close football game that people are going to enjoy watching. I don't know that Auburn necessarily wins, but I think they're going to give Alabama a little bit of a scare. And that's something that I think we can all agree would be very fun to watch. So... Those are three games that I am watching this week. Let's jump right in, though, to the mailbag. We got some really good, good questions this week over at hornfrogblitz.com. Um, and as I jump into this mailbag section, right now over at hornfrogblitz.com and all across 24-7 sports, we are running the best sale of the year. It's our Black Friday offer. You can get access to all of the message boards, all of the content over at Hornfrog Blitz. The VIP discount is 75% off. That's less than $3 a month. You have access to the biggest, funniest, most chaotic TCU community on the planet. You'll get to you'll get all of the content that I that I post on the site. You'll get all of the recruiting nuggets and content that Jeremy Clark posts on the site. You'll get moderated into Oblivion by Pastor Frog as well. What's not to like about that situation for less than $3 a month? Go over, sign up right now on the website, 75% off of an annual subscription. There is nothing to lose. Nothing to lose by being a part of this community and actually plenty to gain because you'll be the first person to know what's going on in TCU Athletics before maybe you even listen to our podcast every week because people on that site learn about information before i have the chance to flip the microphone on and talk about it with melissa on a weekly basis so you'll be in the know you'll be a more informed horn frog fan if you sign up over at hornfrogblitz.com right now for 75 percent off an annual subscription and you'll have the benefit of being able to ask questions on the mailbag because that is a perk that i've decided to limit to people who pay uh to to read the message boards because if I just throw it on Twitter, throw it on Instagram, throw it up on the site, that's like 250 questions every single week that I was getting. It was far too many to, to sift through. I felt bad that I wasn't getting to everybody's question every week. So limiting that to the board makes it a more reasonable number of questions, but also it's a little bit of a perk for the people who have already you know, supported the website in that way. So let's jump in now to the mailbag. We're going to start off with our good friend TRF51. What are the chances they bring in a quarterback via the portal this offseason? And does it change if Hoover beats Oklahoma? What if Chandler comes back? Wouldn't he have to sit out because he already transferred? So I think it's a very good chance. I think it's highly likely that TCU brings in a quarterback via the transfer portal this offseason. Whether that's someone who will come in and start, whether that's someone who will come and compete, whether that's someone who is designated as a backup safety option, I don't know yet. But I, I would be shocked if TCU did not bring in a quarterback from the transfer portal this offseason. I don't think that changes if Josh Hoover beats Oklahoma. I think it might change who they look at in the portal a little bit if Hoover beats Oklahoma. But the reality is, is that coaches don't make decisions like this based off of one game. They didn't make their portal decisions last year because of a one game that Chandler had or one game that Max had or whatever it was. They didn't make their they're not going to make their portal decisions based on whether or not Josh Hoover beats Oklahoma. I don't think that that's a reasonable way to run a program. Uh, it feels incredibly reactionary and Sunny Dyke simply is not very reactionary in that way. Um, I think that he hopes that Josh Hoover is, plays well enough to beat Oklahoma. I think that he's doing everything in his power to prepare Josh Hoover to play well enough to beat Oklahoma, and I don't think that changes the fact that regardless of whether or not Josh Hoover and Chandler Morris are both back on this roster next year, TCU needs a third quarterback. Whether that's as the starter or as the third string, TCU needs a third quarterback on this roster. Haas Haney is going to be on this on this roster next year, yes, but I think having a third quarterback with college football experience is a necessity moving forward for this team you don't want you don't want to get into a situation where if Chandler comes back and he's hurt again if Josh goes down now you're relying on a true freshman in Haas Haney Uh, I've said it on the on the podcast before putting people in situations before they're ready can be more damaging than holding them back and developing them and the last thing you want to do is put Haas Haney in a situation that he's not ready for um, because you don't want a, a, a setback at, at the QB position. You don't want a development setback. Um, and so that's that, all of that is why I think that yes, TCU will go get a portal uh, quarterback this offseason. Pastor Frog, shout out. Hardy talked about him on the pod. He asks Did Sonny start the wrong quarterback two seasons in a row? I'm not rick- ripping him or being funny. Is there something about Sonny's practice that makes it much different from in game? I don't think he started the wrong quarterback two years in a row. I think he started the quarterback that looked the best in practice two seasons in a row. Um, and as someone who was out there for a lot of those practices, since Sonny has been the head coach, I, I think I even posted on the board this fall, and I was saying it on the podcast last year uh, during fall camp in 2022, Chandler Morris looked like the best quarterback on the roster. He absolutely did anybody with eyes that was out there thought that Chandler Morris should be the starter. And that, you know, Sonny talked about it earlier this year. There are some quarterbacks that look really good in practice. They get into a game and, and sometimes they struggle. There are quarterbacks that look really average at best in practice. And then they get out on the football field with the lights shining and fans in the stands and, and they, they reach another level. Right. And we all know, it's pretty common knowledge at this point that Max Duggan was in the second category there. He made a lot of mistakes in practice. Didn't look very good all the time, but then you put a football and a helmet on and, and uh, you get out there on Saturdays and the dude was going to give you everything he had and he was going to elevate to another level. So I don't know that it's necessarily starting the wrong quarterback two seasons in a row to the second question. Is there something about Sunday's practice that makes it much different from in the game? I don't think so. I think that um, now granted Jeremy might, might have a, a different perspective on this. And so maybe he'll chime in, in the thread on the board. I don't think that there's something that makes it much different from in game, other than the fact that the quarterbacks have the red jerseys on. Right. And so you're not hitting quarterbacks in practice. That's not a unique thing to TCU. That's all across the board in college football. And so I wonder if the notion that I can't get hit affects the way that some people practice. I don't know. Um, That's just my thought on that. I don't necessarily think it's the structure of practice itself that is making things present in a different way than we see them on Saturday. Pastor, if that that answers your question. (coughs) ATXNAV... Asks or says, uh, looking ahead to a possible bowl game, if we beat Oklahoma, how much does Sonny look toward the future and play younger guys versus sticking with the guys that got you there? Well, <clears throat> I don't think TCU's in a situation where they're going to have a ton of guys opt out of a potential bowl, um, which we're seeing more and more these days as uh you know these kind of lower tier bowls with guys who have draft draft hopes or draft expectations maybe don't want to get hurt protecting themselves a little bit um so they're opting out of those things i don't think that they would have many people if any that would do that this year um and i think you do a disservice to the guys who have served their time especially the seniors By foregoing their last opportunity to play football for some of them that it will be their last opportunity to play football to play younger guys and get ready for the future. So there's a balance there because obviously you want younger guys to get some game experience. But the most important thing about bowl games, in my opinion, for younger guys is the fact that you get 15 extra practices. And so you have more opportunity. You have 15 extra opportunities to develop and get better um, to work with those young guys to help maybe work on one or two things to get them more prepared for spring ball as well. Um, And so it's definitely a balance. It's definitely a balance, but I don't think that if TCU makes a bowl game, we could see this wave of young guys automatically play because you've also got to consider the fact that there are still, you know, a bowl game counts towards whether or not you can redshirt. And so for all of those guys that are at four games already, if the plan is to redshirt them, they're not going to play in the bowl game because that would burn their shirt. Uh, and, and the coaching staff's not going to burn the red shirt for the Independence Bowl, or whatever it is. So, uh, a lot of a lot of things to consider there. <clears throat> Frog of War, fourteen. What if any changes do you expect this off season? He's got a couple questions. We'll start with that one. Um, you know, the more that I've talked to people, the more that I've heard uh, around the program from people who know much more than I do. Um I wouldn't be shocked to uh, I wouldn't be shocked either way. If if everything stays the same, I wouldn't be shocked. If there are a couple of changes, I wouldn't be shocked. Um Sonny Dykes was serious about a month ago when he said that he evaluates everybody week to week. I'll say that. I, I want to emphasize that. He was absolutely dead serious when he said he evaluates everybody on the coaching staff, players, everything week to week. And He will make his evaluations This week Like he has the last 11 He will make any evaluations Over the next month If they qualify for a bowl Just like he has The the whole season And he will come to a determination From there About what needs to happen next um, Does that lead me to believe One thing or another? No But I don't think anything Is off the table at this point <clears throat> But that doesn't mean we should expect dramatic change either, because I don't think we will see that. Some changes, maybe. No changes, maybe. But I don't think we'll see anything crazy dramatic. Who's been your most pleasant surprise this year? Who's been your biggest disappointment? Um, we'll start with the second part of that. I was really hoping to see um, a couple guys in the secondary take a bigger step forward than they did this year. I think it's been a hard year for some of those seniors in the secondary. Um, specifically, Josh Newton had had a couple of really rough games this year. Bud Clark had a couple of really rough games this year. They also made some of the same plays they made a year ago and looked really, really good at times. Um, but there was some inconsistency, especially in the secondary, that, that I think uh, was a little bit of a letdown this year for sure. Um, and I don't know that the second part of that question, who's been your biggest disappointment, really applies – Uh, to the offensive line because there was pretty obvious opportunity for regression there just because of who you were losing. Um, There wasn't an NFL guard waiting in the wings on this roster. There just wasn't. Um, And so I don't know that that's necessarily disappointing because it was somewhat expected. Um, Who's been your most pleasant surprise this year? Gosh. I mean, I... I'd have to say probably Josh Hoover, right? Like, I think the kid stepped in in an impossible situation when the season had already gone sideways and has provided some really steady quarterbacking. Yes, he's thrown a couple picks here and there. He hasn't made the right decision a couple times, but uh, I think overall, the fact that he's thrown for over 300 yards in four of his five starts and over 400 yards in two of them is is really impressive. I think he's shown a tremendous amount of, of level-headedness and leadership, Um, and I've just been really, really, really pleasantly surprised and impressed by everything that Josh Hoover has to offer uh, over the last month and a half of the season. I think he's done incredibly well stepping in in a situation that was virtually unwinnable, Um, and I think he's he's done everything that you could have asked him to do and, and plenty more. So I think Josh Hooper would have to be my most pleasant surprise this year, even though it was an unfortunate circumstance by which we got to see him play because um, nobody wanted Chandler Morris to get hurt. And if you're saying that out loud or on social media or on the message board, cut that crap out because that's just not all right. <laughs> nobody wants kids to get hurt in this, in this game. It's a violent game. People will get hurt. It's it's a, a, a guaranteed fact of life that people will get hurt playing football, but you never want to see it happen. You never want to see it happen. Um, the third question by Frog of War 14 there was a thread earlier this week but where do you feel TCU sits in NIL stack rankings in the new Big 12 after Oklahoma and Texas leave I think they're in pretty good shape I think they're in really good shape um, you're not gonna see TCU sling big 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 checks around at specific players um, but you're also not gonna see them miss out on guys simply because of NIL if that makes sense they've got really good war chest there's obviously the flying t is always going to bang that drum to give and support and if you feel comfortable doing so i I would encourage you to do so um because that's the way the sport is going these days and if you want tcu to be successful that's a that's going to be an important aspect of it just there's no way around it i'm not going to sit here like uh certain coaches we've seen over the last week or so around the country and you know, complain that their fans aren't giving enough money as they sit there and count their millions of dollars. Um, But as a non-millionaire, I have no problems with saying that I think NIL is important and that if you feel like you're in a position to give that you should. Um, I do think TCU stacks up very, very well in the new Big 12. Very, very well. I think Utah also is in a really good shape from an NIL perspective. BYU is in really good shape from an NIL perspective. Oklahoma State, I think, is getting in better shape from NIL perspective, um, Texas Tech's in great shape as well. And Houston, I think, is one of those schools that can get into good shape really quickly. So it's important. Don't hear me say that TCU's in great shape and think, oh, well, then there's nothing to worry about. I think that this is one of those things that year over year, you can either be in good shape or you can get out of shape really quickly. Uh, And so it's definitely something to keep considering, um, again, if you're comfortable giving to the Flying T Club. Who do you think will be the X factor for the Oklahoma game this week? Well, I think it all depends on how the interior of the offensive line plays. If they're getting pushed back, if they can't create running lanes for Amani Bailey, I think it's going to be a really tough challenge for the Horned Frogs to come away with a win. If they're blocking like they did against Kansas state and Texas, which, you know, they gave up five sacks in those two games. They haven't given up a sack in the other three that Josh Hoover started. Um, then we're going to have a little bit of a challenge uh, to, to come away with, with a win for the Horn Frogs. Um, so, yeah, I think it all starts on the offensive line. Like I said on the last episode, play calling is impacted by what you think the offensive line can and can't do. We've seen that throughout the year. We've seen the running game disappear at times since Brandon Coleman was asked to move back to left tackle. We've seen uh, Josh Hoover run for his life at times against teams with really good defensive fronts. And Oklahoma is one of those teams with a really good defensive front. I don't know that it's necessarily the caliber of Texas or Kansas State, but it's probably number three in the conference right now. And and you've got to take them seriously up front if you're TCU's offensive line. So that's, that's the X factor is how well can TCU block up both in the run game and in the pass game on Friday morning. TCU1331 asks, odds that at least one coach is let go, 50-50. Kind of going back to what I said earlier, I really, truly think it's 50-50 at this point. I don't think that anybody in that in that coaching office is content right now. Um, and so, yeah, 50-50 is kind of where I'd go with that. Frog for life. According to your tweet on game day about who participated in the senior day, I noticed Nook Bradford and Jalen Robinson were missing from that list. Does that mean anything about next year? No, it does not. People, A, participate in Senior Day and then decide to come back all the time if they have eligibility. People who don't participate in Senior Day um, elect to go sometimes as well. Um, And also, I was just typing that list out as they were coming out of the tunnel and they were being announced over the stadium PA. And I was also, like, checking on other things and getting some stuff ready for the game. So there's a possibility that I simply just missed someone. Um, So that was not necessarily a comprehensive list that I tweeted out. Uh, Next question. Any chance Coker can be persuaded to come back for one more ride? I don't believe so at this point. I don't believe so at this point. TCU Don asks, why was there no Hypnoto video for the Blue Bonnet Battle? So much potential and missed opportunity. I'll be honest, Don, I didn't notice that there wasn't one. Um, Normally that happens, what? Like in the first, late in the first quarter, early second, or like in the gap between the first and second quarter, right? Um, Maybe I was going to the bathroom or something. I don't know. I didn't, I I I I don't know but yeah I, I think that if you're going to do a bit do the bit right like they've done the LT shuffle every home game so if you're going to do a bit do a bit um hyperfrog asks why isn't Cordell Russell playing even when we blow teams out well red shirts happen and if you want to keep a guy's eligibility you're going to redshirt him and that, I mean, it's just really just that simple you're not going to burn a guy's redshirt to get 10 snaps in a game that doesn't really mean anything um you know that's just not that's just they're not going to they're not going to forego an entire season of a kid's eligibility cuz they want to get him five snaps against Baylor late in the game that's just not going to happen frog frog says let's talk NIL let's do it rake or rate TCU's NIL game in the new Big 12 are we top tier and with whom i kind of already got into that one i think they're probably top quarter of the Big 12 if gun to my head i'd say utah and texas tech arizona are probably at or ahead BYU probably at or ahead of TCU right now. And TCU is probably ahead of everybody else. I feel fairly comfortable with that. Fairly comfortable with that. Number two is TCU institutionally doing everything it can, uh, that pure schools are doing to maximize NIL directing BMDs to flying T NIL for priority points, the Gorf playbook, all that stuff. Um, my understanding is that flying T is doing priority points, coordinating that with the university. TCU moves pretty slowly. So I don't know if that's fully in effect yet or not. They are working with donors to help discern what's best for that donor to give to. Um, there are things that the university can do and things that the university cannot do. And TCU is making sure that they're abiding by the rules in that manner. Um, so there's that. But yeah, I mean, they're doing all the same thing that, that other schools are doing to try and maximize NIL opportunities. The challenge, and I think Gorf has said this on the site as well, is that you're talking about a living alumni of 100,000 people, and they just crossed that 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 milestone this spring when there are schools out there that have almost that many in undergraduates right now. And so the, the concern as is with all smaller private schools in the NIL space, Miami included, right? Duke, Vanderbilt, all some of these other schools is donor fatigue. So how do we go about getting what we need to compete without wearing out our, our donor base? Um, So, but yeah, I think they're doing everything they can. Uh, They'd be foolish not to, and that would be out of character for Jeremiah Zanotti to not give it everything he's got in that Arena. When we've seen him so clearly give it everything he's got everywhere else in the athletic department, the guy's flying to Congress to have conversations with subcommittees and all that stuff. By God, like yeah, he's doing everything he can uh, at this point. <clears throat> no question. Number three: Did Coach Sunny Dykes uh, Kendall Breyel's staffing decision cost or alienate key NIL donors? I don't have any insight into that. I apologize, but I do not have any insight into that. Uh, number three: Have twenty twenty three results. January portal whiffs, max six wins, terrible terabad <laughs> offensive line, inability to close on twenty-four, spurred a renewed interest in NIL by the guys with more cash than they know what to do with. Yes. Looking for NIL silver linings. There's your silver lining. The last the last answer there. I, I do think some guys have had some folks, not necessarily guys, some people have had their eyes opened to what is necessary to be competitive in today's college football landscape and i think i think tcu is headed in the right direction like i said already a couple times they're doing everything they can they're doing everything they can tcu ball three the tcu offense was going slow and even huddling in the past three halves the results speak for themselves are we to expect more of that philosophy what led to the change Uh, Yes, I think we can expect more of that philosophy against Oklahoma. And what led to the change was the fact that Tempo wasn't saving them from their inefficiencies. Um, And I think when you have an offense that maybe isn't as experienced and veteran as the one that they ran out there last year, sometimes it's okay to make sure everybody understands the play call and is on the same page, especially along the offensive line. And so... We've seen that the last three quarters. I think that is a head coaching decision to slow down a little bit. Um, and you're absolutely right. We've seen the results. They've scored 62 points in the last six quarters. Uh, I think that's the best they've done in any six-quarter stretch this season. So, um, I could be wrong. Maybe Colorado in the first half of Nichols, but even that I don't think got to 62. So, um that the results absolutely do speak for themselves. And I think that we will continue to see this philosophy moving forward because the reality is, is that if tempo is hurting you, you got to move away from tempo um, and, and make sure that execution is your priority. TCU frogs. 09, What can be done to help the running game block better? It's a, it's a foolishly simple answer, but they can block better and to take some of the heat off of the offensive line. Cause I've piled on them already a little bit in this podcast. Amani Bailey can be a hair more patient at times because there are definitely moments where he runs into the back of his blockers instead of waiting a beat and then hitting the hole. So I think that there is a collaborative effort that can be done to help the running game take a step forward. But at the same time, like none of it's going to matter if the offensive line can't line up and block like they're supposed to. Annoying Group of 20 asks a couple questions here. Why didn't we get that last stop versus Texas? Because A.D. Mitchell made a play. A.D. Mitchell got open, and then he contorted his body uh, to adjust to a throw that was off target, and he just made a play. And at the end of the day, you just got to tip your cap when good players make plays. How big is this week's game for the program? Big. Big. You know, everybody's talked all year about how in the Gary era, TCU either won 10 games or they missed a bowl. This is an opportunity for Sonny Dykes to say, hey, we didn't have the season that we wanted, but bowl eligibility is the baseline for this program. And, and I think that if, if he's going to be able to consistently do that, uh, to set that expectation year over year, year two in a year where not a lot went right for you to be able to say, look, everything went wrong and we still got bowl eligibility. I think that's a, a good selling point for the way he's trying to build this program and what he's trying to do at TCU. What's everyone doing with their time and money in December? Saving it, hopefully, after everybody spent thousands on thousands of dollars at the Festival and National Championship last year. Spend it on a family member this year, maybe. Spend it on a nonprofit that you care about with the mission that you that you love. That would be pretty cool. Um a lot of good ones in Fort Worth to, to give to you. Top five most important returning players or must keeps in twenty twenty four. You need you need bodies in the trenches. Right. Like it would be fun to say, oh, this wide receiver, this quarterback, this you need bodies in the trenches. That's where this whole game starts. And I think it's important to keep on to these young defensive linemen. It's important to keep some of these young offensive linemen who maybe are going to be competing for starting spots next year. Um, the, and Anybody in the trenches, you got to hold on to them. Anybody in the trenches, you got to hold on to them. Did we miss just how hard the offensive line adjustment from Riley to Ricker to Kendall to Ricker would be is the if the same OL was running Riley's offense, would it be any better? I That's a good question. I don't know that these offenses are different enough for it to matter a ton. Um, And let's be real. This offensive line is pass blocked pretty well this year. Once they switched um, Coker back to right tackle and Coleman back to left. The running game has been the challenge. Um, Kendra Miller was better at breaking tackles, so maybe the running game ta- is still maybe a little bit better last year with this offensive line, just because Miller is uh, was a special guy, a special running back. That's not to say that Imani Bailey isn't, just Kendra Miller did really impressive things last year, and now he's playing for the New Orleans Saints, right? So, um, I think, I think this was just a, a regression, maybe a little bit of a bigger regression than anybody expected, but a regression that was, uh, that, that was expected generally because of what you lost from a talent perspective last year. Favorite TCU collector's item of the last 25 years? I don't have tons of TCU collector's items. You can, if, you're, if you're watching on the YouTube channel, you can see some of the stuff I got up here, like some bobbleheads and some helmets and all my credentials from over the years right there. I do have the LT jersey. Signed, but that's a Chargers jersey. And I guess maybe I can scooch this way. Which way do I have to scooch? So this, for those who are listening on podcasts, this is great radio. Um, this was a gift from my wife. It's a picture of LT. It's uh, in a Chargers jersey, and then it, it, there's another one of LT in a TCU jersey. It's framed, and it's from when he made it into the Texas State Hall, Football Hall of Fame. The Texas Football Hall of Fame. Uh, it's signed by him. Uh, it was a gift from my wife for my birthday. Gosh, the year he got inducted into the Texas Football Hall of Fame. So whenever that was, um, that's probably the coolest thing I've got because that it's like one of a hundred or something like that. Um, very, very awesome gift. Very awesome gift from my wife. Shout out to shout out to her. She's freaking rocks. Um, moving on. Moss fourteen. What are the biggest priorities this off season? bringing in a quarterback, shoring up the offensive and defensive lines. Uh, and then you've got to have, you've got to commit to developing some of the young talent you've gotten in the last two classes, because they're going to be asked to step up in big ways and cover some holes uh, from the, the deficiencies in the two recruiting classes before them. Um, so you've got to portal incredibly well, and you've got to develop some guys really, really quickly, I think in, in the offseason. those are the two biggest priorities. Um, Army frog fan New uniforms for 2024 Sure I have no insight into that I have none But it would be cool And it would be kind of on time Right Like every seven years or so They kind of rotate We're getting close to, to, to Rotating out again 799 BC Beans or no beans in your chili Let me tell you this Let me be explicitly clear About this statement If you put beans in your chili Don't talk to me That's it. If you put beans in your chili, don't talk to me. I want nothing to do with you. Disgusting. No beans. No beans ever. Uh. Let's see. Griff Gold, not asking a question. He's saying Nook walked on senior day, though. Thank you for that. I missed him, obviously, in my list. TCU Times USC fan from LA24 asks, Is anyone actively trying to get TCU to the Big Ten? I think that is a question that makes some assumptions that aren't necessarily true because I don't think that anybody is ever inactively having a conversation like, like nobody's ever inactive anymore when it comes to conference realignment. Nobody, not a single soul on, on this planet that has anything to do with college football in, in a power capacity is inactive When it comes to college f- football realignment anymore Just doesn't exist Everybody's prepared Everybody's got their slide deck ready to rock Right um, So I think the, the assumption From that question and, and I could be wrong Please correct me uh, Is that either you are or you aren't trying To move on to something better And that's not How it works In college football Or in realignment Anymore Everybody's always ready to make their pitch. Everybody's always got the latest numbers and data and, and deck ready to rock. Um, and and everybody's constantly, not constantly, that, that might be overstating it, but everybody's checking in. Everybody's checking in, right? And so is anyone actively trying to get TCU to the Big Ten? I think that's a stretch. Um. Is TCU, and I've said this on the podcast before, in good shape? I believe they are for whatever's next. Whatever chapter of realignment comes next, I think TCU's in good shape. Um, so it's maybe not the exact answer you wanted, um, but that's the answer I've got for you today. That is the answer I've got for you today. Bob Frog Saget. Love that name. Can we just spend our entire nil budget on offensive line for next year, please? Maybe. Maybe. I'm I'm sure we'll see some spent in that in that regard. Um, let's see. A lot of arguing about one-track minds. We got derailed for a minute. Go frogs! Fort Worth asks, will any non-con teams test the men's basketball team? Clemson, Georgetown, Arizona State. Georgetown's still pretty down. First-year coach, they're, they're, they're working their way back. Clemson is pretty good. I'm very interested to see how TCU handles that Clemson team because um, if they get into a slow start, I, that's going to be a challenge for them. Arizona State has taken a little bit of a step back from the tournament team TCU played last year. Uh, one of their big men, Warren Washington, is over at Texas Tech now, um, but they're still a Hurley-led team. They're going to come ready to play. Very interested in those Clemson and Arizona State games. And the Arizona State game, for those of you that are in DFW, that's happening over at Dickey's. So uh make sure you get your tickets to that Philip Dickey's Arena. Yes, it would be cool to have it at Schulmeyer, but it's in Fort Worth, so let's make sure the TCU, TCU fans show out to that one uh because it'll be it'll be a fun game for sure. But yeah, the Clemson one is the one I'm most intrigued by I think at this point. Go Frogs Fort Worth asks another question. Baseball question. Compare Peyton Tolley to Lucan Baker. Pretty good comp. I think Lucan had more talent pitching wise. Fastball velo was much higher, um, but injuries kind of, you know, cut that cut that part of his game out after his freshman year. Um, Toley can absolutely rake. Toley from a from a hitting perspective, I think Toley Toley is a Lucan's a good comp. I mean, he just absolutely mashes the baseball. One thing I think, and maybe this is maybe this is recency bias because I've just seen Peyton hit so much this fall, um, and I got to go back and maybe watch some Luke and Baker again. Tolle has a very good ability to hit the ball anywhere on the field. Um, Not not necessarily talking about like opposite field home runs and that kind of stuff, but he can go gap to gap, right? He, I mean, he's totally content with a good double. Uh, he's not out there trying to match every single time. Um, and you can tell just by the ease of his swing, the natural power that he has. So yeah, balls are going to carry. I think they've adjusted his launch angles a little bit this, this fall to help him hit more home runs. Um, but he's content with just rocking a double into the left center gap, right? Uh, kind of going to that opposite field and getting two bags and setting up the offense. Um, and so I think he's a more well-rounded hitter at this point than we saw Lucan Baker was. But at the same time, Peyton Tolly's in his, what, his third year, and most of Lucan's highlights that we remember are from his freshman and sophomore year. So Tolly's a little bit more developed um, than Lucan was when he did the bulk of his playing time at TCU um, because of injuries. But I think, I think TCU fans are in for a very, very big treat watching Peyton Tolly hit for them this, this season and pitch. He's going to be a good pitcher for the Frogs too. Let's see. Let's see. That might have been the last one. Let's scroll here and double check. Scroll here and double check. I think that might be it. Ah, here we go. No, we got a couple more on page three. W.L. Royal asks, Top five TCU quarterbacks of the 21st century, and what bowl game do we make when we beat Oklahoma? 21st century, easy. Andy Dalton, Trevon Boykin Kenny Hill Max Duggan Casey Pahal Easiest question of my life Um, And in that order too By the way In uh, What did I say I can't even remember what order I said anymore I'll rank them We'll start at 5 Casey Pahal 4 Kenny Hill Whew this is going to make some people really upset. Three is Max Duggan. Two is Andy Dalton. One is Travon Boykin. I said what I said. I'm moving on. What bowl game do we make when we beat Oklahoma? I have to go back and look at uh, bowl tie-ins at this point, but it's not going to be one that you're going to be really thrilled about. Probably over in Dallas. Might be one. It won't be Armed Forces Bowl because I don't think they'd do that. I don't think they'd put TCU in a bowl game in their own stadium, but that would kind of be the one in play from a slot perspective. Um, GoFrog74 asks, who are some freshmen who can contribute immediately for football next year? I'm going to do this thing where I take a drink and vamp while I pull up the roster so that I don't have to do this from memory. Mm-mm. Taking a sip. This is really delicious water. mm 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 Grid, sort by academic year scroll down alright <clears throat> some freshmen that I think will contribute a lot ok let's, let's start here some freshmen, current freshmen that will contribute next year and then maybe we'll look at the recruiting class too because I can't tell if that was actually the, the, the question or is it like kids in this class who are going to be freshmen or freshmen right now Cam Cook I think is one to watch for sure Jonathan Bax linebacker is one to watch um, two guys that have already been contributing quite a bit. Jamel Johnson, the freshman safety um, and uh, uh, Randon Fontenet, another safety that they've both been contributing. Um, we saw a little bit of Jordan Bailey earlier this year as well. I think he's going to be a fun one to keep an eye on. Uh, Lafayette Kiway is another one, a big, big, big body tight end. Did not look like a freshman this year, but with Wiley leaving, I think he's going to have a big opportunity to step into a bigger role Next year as well. Um, those are some of the guys that I'm really looking forward to. Ben Taylor Whitfield probably going to find a way, find its way into a starting role along the offensive line next year, um, and then Marcus Steele, the defensive lineman, is another one as well. Heck, Avion, Avion Carter. This is a really guys. This is a really really good recruiting class that TCU brought in two years ago. The, this freshman class is is impressive, um, and there are, there are a lot of guys along this along this roster that, that could contribute in a significant way um, next year. So that's, you know, that, I think that's something really fun to, to look forward to uh, and, and get excited about are, are the fact that the coaching staff has done a tremendous job of bringing talent in in the last two classes. Um, I know that a lot of people aren't very satisfied with the 2024 class, but it's still got some incredible talent on it. Jeremy Payne, four-star running back, Kyle Baker, Four-star wide receiver. Obviously, everybody loves Haas Haney, a really, really legitimately good edge rusher, and Travis Jackson as well. Um, all guys that I think could could be contributors as, as freshmen. Hopefully, not a ton because they've got some development of other guys coming along. But still, some some really good, hopeful things I think to 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 look out for uh, this upcoming year for the Horn Frogs. Um, that's just going to do it though for this episode of Frogs Insider. Thanks to everybody that asked questions. Thanks again to Jack Shields for taking the time to talk to Melissa and Preview Oklahoma. Shout out to Parker Fleming for the Advanced Stats Preview as well. Um, We will be back, as always, with a recap of the Oklahoma game. You can find that episode wherever you get your podcasts on Monday morning. Make sure that you're subscribed wherever you get your podcasts. Leave a rating and review. If you want to see the video version of these podcasts, go over to the YouTube channel. Just search Frogs Insider on YouTube and we'll pop right up hit the subscribe button, hit the button that gets you notified every time we post new content over there and you will see that when it goes live, typically around 9 or 10 a.m. the day that we publish our podcasts. So we broadcast that uh, every single episode as well. Um, Hell's Half Acre Stadium Goods, Homefield Apparel, do all your Christmas shopping at those two websites, please. And we will talk to you next time. Go Frogs.